Amen. Would you uh, open your Bible with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5, our series through Ephesians has taken us, I think, to some of the highest mountaintops that we are ever going to experience uh, when it comes to our relationship with God, and particularly how all of this now impacts the way that we live our lives, not just in relationship to God, uh, but also in relationship to one another. So much so that the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 and verse 21 that one of the ways that we know that we are filled with the Spirit of God is that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So part of what that's teaching us is that the gospel not only changes how we see ourselves, but it also changes how we see each other. And one of the most prevalent ways that that plays itself out within our lives is within Christian marriage. So we're going to look at this passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, let's see what God has to say to us today about Christian marriage. So to give us some context uh, from what Paul has just said right before this that we looked at last week, uh, let's start reading Ephesians 5 verse 18, and we'll read down through to the end of the chapter in verse 33. So follow along in your copy of God's Word. I'll start reading Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine... For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of the same body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I don't know if you saw this as we read through this passage, but this is a section that is absolutely loaded with love and grace and purpose, all of which reflect God's perfect and beautiful design for a Christian marriage. And so, uh, because there's so much here in this section, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this morning and look at verses 22 to 24 in a message titled, uh, God's Word for Wives. And uh, husbands, men, I would encourage you very strongly to keep your elbows and nudges to yourself because our turn's coming next week, okay? So in the next section. So this morning is God's Word for Wives, and then next week, Lord willing, again, we're going to focus on verses 25 to 33 and see God's Word for Husbands. Now... Having said that, um, I'm very aware right now that there are some of you in the room who are wondering how a message on God's word for wives applies to you today. 
some of you are here and you are wives, and so that's good. That's obvious, and, and there's much here for you in God's word this morning. Some of you, some of you I pray uh, this will teach you maybe some things that you didn't know before, maybe for the first time. Uh, for others of you, maybe this will remind you or encourage you in the Lord, uh, not simply in your role as a godly wife, but also of the character of a godly wife. But the reality is that there are many of you who are sitting here right now, and you are not wives. In fact, many of you are sitting here right now, and you are not women. And that poses a bit of a challenge. And so maybe you're sitting here, and you're like, well, what can there possibly be here for me today? Well, consider this. Uh, Ladies who are not married, maybe God has given you a desire to be married one day, but you're not married yet. And as you pray through that desire within your life, this passage right here is preparing for what you one day will be called to be within a Christian marriage. Husbands, this is what to pray for your wife. Young men who are not yet married, this is what to ask God one day to give you in a godly wife. And for all of us, this is what to pray for all of the wives within our church. Now on the flip side of that, I also realize that there are some of you here this morning and you have experienced the pain of divorce, or separation, a failed marriage, the death of a spouse, perhaps even you're married to an unbeliever and that just breaks your heart and the thought even of you sitting here over the next couple of weeks and hearing a couple of sermons on marriage just in some sense makes something cringe deep down inside of you and At the same time, there's also some of you here this morning who perhaps the Lord has called to singleness and that in itself is an amazing gift from the Lord that needs to be celebrated within the church. But the point simply is this. Every person should be asking themselves right now, what does God want to say to me today from his word? Every one of us should be asking ourselves that because in some sense, it doesn't really matter what our marital status is. This is God's word. And this is in God's word, and this is where we are in God's word today. So what does God want to say to me? What does God want to say to us today from his word? And I believe very strongly that he has something here in his word to say to every single one of us, regardless of what our marital status might be, especially as we live in a day where there is increasing confusion about things like gender and marriage and family Not to mention the evident hostility among some toward biblical marriage. And so because of that, we need clarity, perhaps now more than we've ever had it before, about what God intended for marriage to be. The challenge in all of this is that you're never going to hear the world tell you what Ephesians 5 is about to tell you about the role of a godly wife within a Christian marriage. The world will tell us many different things about marriage. The world will tell us a lot about things like equality and fairness and liberation and independence. And certainly, uh, wives and women in general must be loved and must be cared for and respected as image bearers of God. But God has also given us a very clear word to wives that frequently and deeply bristles against the world's desires for marriage. Especially when God says in our passage today, verses 22 to 24, that a Christian wife is to submit to her husband, which quite honestly raises a variety of different questions for a Christian woman today. For example, why would I ever want to submit? Isn't that just archaic and old-fashioned and outdated? Wasn't that just a cultural thing in Paul's day that isn't really relevant anymore? 
Doesn't this just open the door for my husband to control me and to tell me to do whatever he wants me to do? What about my freedom? Doesn't my individuality get lost somewhere in all of that mix? And, and if this is what marriage is supposed to be, then why would I want to get married at all? At the same time, there may even be some husbands or some men sitting here right now, and you've got your own questions. Like, what's my role in this? What do I do if I have a wife who won't submit to my leadership? Even more, what do I do if I don't really know how to lead her? Like, maybe you look at your family dynamic, you look at your marriage right now, and, and you look at your wife, and maybe she's really successful at work. She has people that she leads, people who answer to her in the workplace. She's really good at what she does, and when she gets home, you're like, I don't even know where to start. Or, or you look at your home, and you see your wife with your kids at home, and she manages your household really, really well, and, and she has just about everything lined up in its place, and she's already running in that lane. So by the time you get home, you feel like you're just kind of getting in the way, and you're saying to yourself, I don't even know what my place is anymore. Maybe even you're a husband who is here right now, and you have been waiting for a message like this so that in your mind, your wife will finally understand what it means to submit to you. There is so much confusion and so many questions, which is why we go to God's word where there is so much clarity. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take you to this passage in God's word and help you see that when it is understood biblically, submission is a beautiful gift from God that cannot be duplicated by anything else in this world. And so I'd like to begin by defining submission and then show you three conclusions about submission straight from this passage. So what is submission? And then three conclusions about submission that come from verses 22 to 24. Before we do that, would you pray with me, please? Father, just now in this quiet moment, we humble ourselves before you and we ask, God, that you would be gracious to us to teach us this morning from your word. Lord, I, um, I can't possibly anticipate all the questions all the difficulties with this topic, this passage, whatever it may be, Lord, but you know. You know each heart here. Lord, you have a specific purpose for this time here right now as we open your word to this passage. And so I pray, I pray, God, for your grace to sanctify us. I pray, God, for your grace to speak so clearly to us by the power of your spirit in your word. So, Lord, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Lord, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask for the sake of Jesus. Amen. All right, so first of all, what is submission? And more specifically, what does it mean, as Paul says in verse 22, for a wife to submit to her husband as to the Lord? Well, as we understand it in the Bible, submission is the calling of a wife to willingly affirm God's design for her husband to lead her and to have authority over her within their marriage. Now, we're going to unpack that as we go, but submission is the calling of a wife to willingly affirm God's design for her husband to lead her and to have authority over her within their marriage. Now, 
We see this word submit three times in these three verses, once in verse 22 and twice in verse 24. It's also implied in verse 23 when it says that a husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. In fact, that word submit does not actually appear in the original text in verse 22, but the implication is very clear based on what Paul has just said in verse 21. So a literal reading of verses 21 and 22 would go something like this. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. So in other words, what's happening here is that the first illustration that Paul gives about what submission looks like within our lives is how a wife submits to her husband within their marriage. Like we said last week, uh, this word submit was a military term that was meant to be, uh, that meant to be subject to someone else. It meant to uh, line up or arrange under. Just think of all the different ranks that exist in the military. One person submits to another, and they submit to another, and they submit to another. It's that idea. It's the idea of voluntarily giving up your rights so that you can follow the lead of someone else. Let me see if I can illustrate it. Uh, believe it or not, there was a time when Stacy and I took dance lessons. I know, right? Like, yeah, I'm just as surprised as you are. And, um, and more accurately, um, there was a time when Stacy and I took one dance lesson. Um, and we were dating at the time, and I was working, like, overtime to try to impress her. And, and it didn't hit me until, like, well afterwards. If I was really trying to impress her, then why did I take her dancing? Right? Like, just look at me. I'm not built to dance. Right? At least not in public. So, so we go to this lesson, and one of the very first things that they teach you in the lesson is that someone has to lead and someone has to follow. Just by the nature of how dance is and the way that it's designed, the way that it works, it works best when one person leads and the other person follows that lead. Because when both people try to lead, or when the wrong person tries to lead, you end up stepping on each other, you end up hurting each other, you end up on parts of the dance floor where you should never be, and it just gets really, really bad. In his perfect wisdom, and for reasons that only God himself knows, that's also how he has designed the dance of marriage. The husband is to lead. And the wife is to willingly affirm the leadership of her husband and follow that lead as an expression of her obedience to the Lord. Which means then that there are certain things that biblical submission is not. John Piper has a really helpful way of explaining what submission within marriage is not. And there's not really a better way for me to say it. So I'm just going to adapt some of the observations that he's made um, first of all, notice that these are things that submission is not. So don't miss that word not, because if you miss that word, then you miss everything, okay? So submission, notice here, is not agreeing on everything. Submission is not agreeing on everything. Wives, once you get married, you don't suddenly forfeit your ability to say what you think or how you feel, or to share your insight or wisdom on a situation that your family might be experiencing. God has blessed you with a mind to think and to process and to reason. God has blessed you with a heart to feel. God has blessed you with a voice to verbalize those thoughts and those feelings. And when a godly wife is married to a godly husband, that godly husband would do very well to listen carefully to his godly wife. So submission is not agreeing on everything. Now, should you agree on some things? Yeah, you should agree on many things. But submission does not necessarily mean agreeing on everything. 
Second, submission is not putting the will of your husband before the will of your Savior. Wives, and this may be more applicable to wives who are married to an unbelieving husband, when you are faced with a legitimate choice between obeying your husband or obeying Jesus, the choice is really clear. You go with Jesus. Because your allegiance is to Jesus, not your husband first. However, and this is a very big however, you show your submission to Jesus by submitting to your husband, but never at the cost of your obedience to Christ. So wives, when you're faced with that choice, when you're faced with that choice of submitting to Jesus or submitting to your husband, and I'm talking about a legitimate choice. I'm not talking about your preference. I'm not talking about your opinion or what you think. I'm talking about a legitimate choice where you either submit to Jesus or you submit to your husband. Then the choice that you make is to submit to Jesus. And the way that you communicate that to your husband, that you're following Jesus, matters massively. So when your husband puts that choice in front of you to either submit to him or submit to Jesus, you look back at him with love and without arrogance, without condescension. You look back at him and say, I want to submit to your leadership, but what you are asking me to do goes against what Jesus has told me to do, and so I cannot follow you in this. Submission is not putting the will of your husband before the will of your Savior. Third, submission is not living in fear. Listen, submission is never, this is for husbands and wives, submission is never, 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 never an automatic green light for a husband to bully his wife, to boss his wife, to abuse his wife physically, verbally, or otherwise. Submission is never a green light to demean, degrade, or embarrass his wife. And in extreme cases where those things are happening, submission does not mean that a wife needs to stay in a situation where she is living in a constant state of fear for her safety or her well-being. Submission is not living in fear. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor and theologian, uh, rightly said this to husbands. Listen carefully to this. The command to submit is not the husband's to demand, it is the wife's to obey. The command to submit is not the husband's to demand, it is the wife's to obey, which is what we're saying here. Biblical submission is the calling of a wife to willingly affirm God's design for her husband to lead her and to have authority over her within their marriage. And that definition then has some very significant implications for us to understand. First of all, it means that men and women are equal before God. We are equal before God. However, we are not the same. So all men and all women, all husbands and all wives have been created in God's image and for God's glory. So all men and all women, all husbands and all wives stand in the same need of God's saving grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That means then, ladies, that just because you are called to submit to your husband, that takes nothing away from the reality that you have the same dignity and honor before the Lord that your husband does. If anything, the call to submit even adds to the dignity and honor that you have before the Lord. So ladies, wives, hear this very clearly. Hear what God's word is saying to us again today. 
your worth in this life is not defined by a role that you might play as a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sister, a grandmother, an aunt, or a friend. Your value is not determined by whether you are single or married, your success or lack thereof. Your value is not determined by your career, your abilities, your gifting, your intelligence, your looks, your education, or your ambitions. Nor is your importance affirmed only by the success of your marriage or your ability to provide for your children. You have immense and eternal value honor, and dignity because you bear God's image and you are eternally loved by the Father who has made you and has saved you through the finished work of his son Jesus whom he sent for you and nothing will ever take that away from you. Men and women are equal before God but we are not the same. And that is part of what Ephesians 5 is starting to reveal to us. God has called the husband to lead and he has called the wife to submit to that leadership. So, based on all of that, let's think through then three conclusions from this text about the biblical submission of a wife to her husband. Based on all of that, here's the first. You may want to jot this down. Number one, submission is good. So based on everything that we've just said, submission is good. Now, remember uh, where we left off last week. Paul was talking about being filled with the Spirit of God. And one of the ways we see evidence of that within our life, he says in verse 21, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so now, again, the first illustration that he gives here is that of submission within marriage. So verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So see now how this plays out. First of all, submission is good because God has brought you together. Submission is good because God has brought you together. The first word of verse 22, wives. So the instruction here is for all Christian wives. No one is left out. No one is left behind. This is for every wife who follows Jesus. And he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. So the idea here is not for wives to submit to every man, as if to possibly suggest that a wife cannot have a meaningful life and career aside from her role as a wife or a mother. The idea, wives, is for you to fall under the authority of the one man that God has purposely, sovereignly, and graciously given to you as your husband. God has brought you together. And this is a good gift from God. So ladies, think back, if you can, to that uh, moment that uh, you stood arm in arm, hand in hand with your husband, and you promised that day that you would give the rest of your days to each other. And today, now, as a Christian wife, all of these years later, you can look back on that day, and you can look back, Lord willing, on so many days since then with the confidence of knowing that God has brought you together, as Paul says here, with your own husband. God has done this. God has brought you together. And so living this way in your marriage not only reflects a belief in the structure that God has put in place for marriage, but it reflects a belief in the structure that God has put in place specifically for you. God has brought you together with your own husband. But then notice this too. Submission is good because it helps us to see who marriage is for. He says, wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And you can see through this passage, I don't know if you noticed it when we read through 
uh, verses 22 to 33 especially, that Paul says at least 14 times that this is really all about Jesus. Like from the very beginning to the very end. Verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 32, he says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Like all of this, all of this from the very beginning to the very end isn't just about your marriage. And it's not just about my marriage. It's actually about Jesus. And this is one of the ways that submission within Christian marriage has been so misunderstood. It's almost like the world keeps asking over and over and over again, well, if you submit, like if you willingly humble yourself under the leadership and the authority of your husband, doesn't that mean then that you're conceding everything? Like, aren't you giving up what could be yours if you didn't submit? And the answer to that is yes. Which, when you take it one step further, is also the call of the husband, which we're going to see next week, Lord willing, albeit in different ways from the call of the wife, but it's the call of the husband as well. When you think about it, you keep pulling on that thread even more. This is the call for every Christian within the Christian life. We live a life of submission. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And part of what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5 is that Christian marriage, maybe more than anything else that we have in this life, is about making us more like the one for whom our marriage exists. This is about Jesus. This is about our holiness. So the point here is that marriage isn't about us. And it doesn't exist just for us. It exists for the glory of Jesus within us. And when we begin to make marriage about who we are, when we begin to make it about what we think we want or what we think we need, then we're automatically starting from the wrong place. So the ultimate question here, ultimate question for husbands, for wives, for all of us here, the ultimate question is simply this. Am I committed to the lordship of Jesus within this marriage? Am I committed to the glory of Jesus within my marriage? Is that the highest aim that we have together as we pursue him, his glory within our marriage, in sickness and in health, for for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, whatever it may be, for the vows that you made on that day as you stood across from each other and promised the rest of your lives to each other? Are we seeking the glory of Jesus as the highest aim of our marriage? See, wives, your submission to your husband is one of the primary ways that you show that you're submitting to the Lord. It's one of the ways that that you could say your holiness hits the road. You can see it right in front of you in your life. So, So when you see submission like that, we see that it's actually a really good gift that God has given to us. So the first conclusion we see is that submission is good, but then notice this second. Submission is a picture of the gospel. Submission is a picture of the gospel. Verse 23, Paul goes on, he says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So when he talks about headship in marriage, he's talking about authority. He's talking about one person being in a position of authority and the other person uh, willingly coming underneath that authority. 
And the whole idea of headship is, is really grounded in the story of the gospel. In fact, it began all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It started with creation. And God created man first, and then he created woman from man. And so you look back, and you see that there's an order there. There's a structure there that exists right from the very beginning of time. And in marriage, God then brings the man and the woman together as one flesh. So it starts in creation, but then it was all broken by the fall. So you read through Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, you get to Genesis chapter 3, you might remember that the serpent then slithers into the garden and he dismantles everything. Eve disobeys God's command and doesn't consult Adam regarding the temptation from the serpent. Adam appears to be there, but he doesn't do anything to lead Eve away from that temptation. Instead, he listens to her. He follows her and thereby sins himself. And the result then is what God says to Eve in Genesis 3, verse 16. Listen to what God says to her. He says, your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. In other words, God said that because of their sin, Eve's desire would be to take her husband's place of headship within the marriage. But then Adam's reaction to that is to push back against this coup d'etat from the woman and, and re, uh, respond with his own distorted kind of authoritarian leadership. So do you see what's going on here? Sin just blows everything up, right? And it's the way that it happens within our lives, within other things within our lives, within other relationships within our lives, right? Sin just blows everything up. The fall creates this sinful spin on God's design, not just for the submission of the wife, but also for the headship of the husband. But then, the good news in the midst of all of that is that redemption happens. And in Jesus, all of this now is reversed. So when we look at the gospel, we see a picture of the son submitting to the will of his father and saying, not my will be done, but your will be done. And we see the son laying aside his rights, laying aside his privileges, laying aside his place of honor, and willingly placing himself under the authority of his loving father so that he could come into this world and live a life without sin and die a death for our sins. So where Adam sinned, Jesus perfectly obeyed. And through his death on the cross and his resurrection and now his spirit living within us, Jesus is making things right that were distorted by the fall. See, God has done this so that we could rightly understand not just what headship is, but so that we could also rightly understand what submission is. And Paul says here, he gives us this illustration, Jesus is the head of the church, his body We've seen this a couple of times through our study in Ephesians, back in chapter 1, also in chapter 4. Jesus is the head of the church, his body, and as the head of the church, just think about this, Jesus, he leads us only out of love, and, and he only leads us to the places where we find true joy and life and freedom. Jesus, Paul says here, is the savior of this body. And so when we know that we have a Savior who leads us like that, when he leads us out of love and he leads us to the places of true joy and freedom and life, then we'll follow him anywhere. And that, he says, is the pattern for marriage. See, the thing is, something like this doesn't just happen like all of a sudden, right? And uh, something big pops up in your life and, and that's the point when husband kind of stands up and, and he says, okay, now I'm going to lead. Like, here I am, I'm the leader, here we go, family, everybody follow me, right? It doesn't just happen like all of a sudden. 
it happens with the million little things that come before it. It's the husband who says, honey, we need to get the family together and we need to pray about this. Because if we don't pray, we have nothing. It's the husband who says, honey, what's God teaching you in his word? How's God working in your life right now? How is God sanctifying you? How's God growing you? It's the husband who says, hey, family, we're going to church this weekend because this is a priority for us and we're going to get there on time, rain or shine, hot or cold, first service, second service, doesn't really matter. Like, we're going to get there and we're going to believe by God's grace that, that this is an experience for us whereby God is going to bless us as part of this church family. Like, we're going to make this a priority. It's the husband who leads his wife, who leads his family closer to the Lord Jesus. It's these million smaller things that happen on a day-to-day basis so that when the big thing does come, and it will come, but when the big thing does come, wife can then look to husband and say with confidence, if you're going to lead me like that, if you're going to lead me out of a place of love and care and compassion and grace and tenderness, if you are going to love me like Jesus loves us, then I will follow you That's God's intention for marriage. That's God's design for the husband and the wife. There's no authoritarian leadership. There's no dictatorship. There's no, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. It's willingly placing yourself under the leadership. I love how uh, Kathy Keller describes this. She wrote a book with her husband, Tim Keller, a book called The Meaning of Marriage. If, If you don't have that book, I highly, highly recommend it. Wonderful book. Listen to how Kathy Keller describes this in her relationship uh, with her husband, but more so in her relationship with Christ. She says, in Jesus, we see all the authoritarianism of authority laid to rest and all the humility of submission glorified. Rather than demeaning Christ, his submission leads to his ultimate glorification where God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now listen to this. She says, by accepting our gender roles and operating within them, we are able to demonstrate to the world concepts that are so counterintuitive as to to be completely unintelligible unless they are lived out by men and women in Christian marriages. So true. Like living within the order that God has established communicates the gospel to a watching world. See, wives, when you see that submission and headship are shaped by the gospel, you can submit to your husband. And husbands, when we see that submission and headship are shaped by the gospel, we can love and lead our wives. As hard as it might be sometimes, we can love and lead our wives so that her submission is not a burden for her to endure, but a blessing for her to enjoy. See, submission is good, Submission is a picture of the gospel. And then finally, and briefly this, number three, submission is glorious. Submission is glorious. Verse 24, Paul summarizes what he's already said in the previous two verses. He says, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So as the church submits to the leadership of Christ, Christ is glorified. And as a wife submits to her husband in everything, Christ is glorified. 
Now, maybe someone here says, well, wait just a second. I don't know that I can do that because um, my husband is not a believer. So how am I supposed to submit to him? Like, he doesn't share the love of Jesus that I have in my life. And interestingly, uh, Peter talks about this very scenario in 1 Peter chapter 3. Notice this. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, that is, even if some are unbelievers, even if they don't obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So even if your husband doesn't believe in Christ, your submission to him, except when he calls you to disobey Christ, your submission to him then becomes your gospel presentation for him. And there's glory even in that. And so wives should submit, notice here he says, in everything to their husbands. Not a lot of wiggle room in everything, is there? As one author put it, he says that doesn't mean that you only follow him when you agree with him or feel like he's making the right decision. That's not submission, that's agreement. See, when it comes to us being the church, we submit to Christ in everything. And we do that with joy. We do that with thankfulness that we have a Savior who loves us like Jesus loves us. And it's our joy to submit to him because we know that Christ loves us and only wants what is good and right for us. We're going to talk more about that next week in this next passage, Lord willing, about the role of a husband loving his wife like Christ loves the church. And so part of what he's saying here is that like that, as, as the church submits to Christ... Like that, the wife is to submit to her husband in everything as well. And we only do this by the power of the Spirit of God within us. Back to verse 21. He says, being filled with the Spirit. Submission, when rightly understood and rightly applied, is good. It's a picture of the gospel, and it is glorious because it points us to Jesus.